Hello CTSnet friends, my name's Joel Dunning and welcome to another edition in our podcast series. It's an absolutely jam-packed series today. Uh, we've got an incredible new beating heart transplant technique from Joseph Wu in Stanford. We've got an interesting article on what is the least worst option uh, when a TAVI fails uh, and, uh, and how long does it take to master uh, robotic uh, CABG. Um, on the video front, we've got some really interesting videos. We've got a, a whole uh, webinar, we've got pain in cardiac surgery, and we've got a bonkers crazy, uh, wonderful video about how you fix a left ventricular free wall rupture. And then uh, I've been spending a week in Papworth, uh, all with the brand new Versius CMR robot. It's some really exciting news for you, so don't go away, we've got a packed edition. Thanks for tuning in. What a packed edition we've got today. And the thing that really struck out on new papers today for me was this wonderful paper on the first beating heart transplant uh, by Joseph Wu. Joseph Wu is an amazing uh, person. He's the uh, Norman Shumway Professor of Cardiac Surgery at Stanford. What a, what a huge set of boots to fill, but he has filled them plus plus. He really is a, a wonderful clinician and scientist. I met him in Australia actually at the Hobart uh, annual conference there and he just blew us away. He was a total star and in the JTCVS Techniques uh, this March 2023 he has published just the most phenomenal video. So what's the problem? Uh, so we have a limitation of heart transplant um, donor organs um, and so obviously the, the, the hope is that we can use DCD donors, patients that unfortunately um, are not brain dead so we have to wait until they die once they're extubated um, and unfortunately that does produce quite a big ischemic time for the heart. Now the big problem is that you have a big ischemic time uh, as they pass away um, and, uh, and the case he shows in this was 13 minutes and then you get another big ischemic hit uh, when you take the heart out of the EVHP device and put it in the chest so that's two big ischemic insults and that has been proven uh, in studies to show inferior quality of, uh, of transplant but uh, Joseph has designed this just wonderful new technique you have got to check the videos out here um, so what he does um, yes um, he shows us a technique where uh, yep we had 13 minutes of ischemia time then he explants the heart puts it uh, in his ex vivo heart perfusion device which was the transmedics organ care system uh, and then he brings it across to his hospital but this is where the magic happens so he then while it's on the rig he then uh, cannulates the aorta and cross clamps and starts perfusing it uh, with blood from his bypass circuit so he's there with his recipient he has a special uh, modified uh, circuit so that he can then start perfusing the heart with the new recipient's patient's blood so the, the heart starts beating so it starts beating he takes it off the rig and then he stitches it in beating um, so really interestingly he puts pacemaker wires on the heart and he starts to take over the the heart rate and tries to bring it down to about 60 uh, and then the video shows him uh, suturing in the the left atrium suturing the aorta then taking two cross clamps off uh, the donor and recipient and then starts perfusing it where he then continues the IVC the pulmonary artery and SVC um, this reduced 
the ischemic insult quite significantly with this uh, recipient and it's really an exciting future for heart transplants. So, so well done Jason Wu, uh, star of the future, guaranteed nailed on future president of the AATS and STS and everywhere. So, so keep a look out for him, what a star. So the second thing uh, we selected for you was this rather interestingly titled uh, article, what's the worst redo option after TAVA? So um, this combined two really interesting articles. One was from Sinichi Fukuhara at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor, uh, and this was both published in Jack Cardiovascular Interventions. The first article looked at the STS database in redos after TAVA failure, uh, and the second one was by Gilbert Tang from Mount Sinai, uh, and this was called the Explant to Redo Database. Uh, and looking at both of these articles, it sought to answer the question of if you have a TAVA failure, you know, what do you do next? Do you do another TAVA? Do you do a TAVA then an open uh, AVR? Uh, what is the safest and what is the most dangerous? So, and, and the thing that stood out to me was the SDS database. <clears throat> Um, they'd found 31,000 aortic valve replacement procedures in patients that had a previous TAVA. And uh, that is a huge number. And so 1,000 had had, uh, uh, sorry, after previous aortic valve replacement. So 1,100 had had previous TAVA, a, a transcatheter AVR, and 600 had had a normal aortic valve replacement, and then a TAVA, because it had failed, and then needed surgery. And then 29,000 had had just a normal aortic valve replacement, and that needed fixing, obviously all biological valves. So now, this was the crazy thing. So in these 1,100 patients that had had a transcatheter AVR and then needed open surgery, 17, 17% died. 17% mortality in the SDS database. That is unbelievable. That is just so high. So in the patients that had had a normal aortic valve replacement and then that needed repairing with another open aortic valve replacement, it was only 9%. So your mortality is half uh, if you're explanting a normal AVR compared to a TAVA. Now, I wonder, I, I guess if you do, if you've done some TAVA explants as an open surgeon, you probably really truly understand how horrific it is to take these things out. The wires are everywhere. It's near the, the coronary ostia. They're designed to never be taken out, aren't they? They're just so much more difficult to take out than an open AVR. But, uh, but this really is uh, an amazing statistic. Now, uh, they also say that less than 0.5% of TAVAs actually ever need to be redone. So this is a small group, this is really important because this means that uh, you really have to consider your, which patients receive a TAVA because you do not want to do an open uh, AVR on these people, you know, with such a high, nearly one in five mortality. Um, the second study they showed was the explant to redo registry, and it wasn't so different really. It really backed up the findings of that. They said at 30 days, the mortality was 13% if you did an open AVR after TAVA, whereas it was 3% um, if it was just um, uh, open AVR, then open AVR. So, so amazing really, um, and, and I think this is really important. It really does highlight how important it is to plan the future procedure, even if it is just for half a percent of patients. Um, the other interesting thing is that a key thing they said was that we really need to estimate the life expectancy of our patients. Uh, and they said that that actually 
in all all prediction of life expectancy, um, it's only about 16% accurate. And the best prediction models of life expectancy are only two-thirds two accurate as to whether you're going to live 10 years or longer uh, when you're in your 70s. I thought that was amazing, uh, really, uh, and something to just consider. So well done, those authors. A fabulous couple of papers. Uh, and if you're involved in TAVO, really do have a look at those. Finally, the third interesting paper we looked at was Mastering the Learning Curve in Robotics CABG. Um, this is a great paper by Amalia Johnson and Michael Halkos from Emory University in Atlanta. And they've done a thousand robotic uh, lemurs to LAD and they document their learning curve. Uh, they use a variety of methods. Uh, they looked at the SDS database and their own data as well uh, and looked at how quickly it sped up. Now, the really nice thing that they publish is that their mortality is absolutely tiny, 0.6%. Their stroke rate is tiny, five out of a thousand, really, really small so really really safe excellent surgery uh, but but the learning curve which is pretty interesting they started at 195 minutes for their, their case and what do they do by the way it's a robotic lemur takedown then it's a four centimeter thoracotomy then it's an off pump um, sort of mid cab technique uh, so really nice technique there nice and nice and neat um, so the, uh, the interesting thing was 195 minutes at the start of the learning curve went all the way down to 176 minutes. Uh, they, they, they tore off 20 minutes uh, of their technique. And I'd say, I'd say that's not too bad, is it? Two and a half hours uh, for a robotic Lima to LAD. That's really quite good. But how long did it take to get that uh, learning curve down? The other really important thing is their conversion rate started at 4.4% and went down to just over 1% uh, at the end. But where did the learning curve flatten off? Well, the answer was uh, that uh, perhaps the learning curve is around 250 to 500 cases. Uh, wow, that is a big learning curve. Now, now that's pretty surprising, really, isn't it? That is quite hard. And, and I think in the future, we're going to be able to get these learning curves down. Um, we'll talk more about the amazing Versus system uh, later, but they've got virtual reality headsets for their surgeons. So, so they can uh, take VR headsets. They can do all the simulation at home uh, when they're not playing with their kids or doing something else. Uh, and actually, they can bang in hours and hours and hours of practice in the world of virtual reality. So maybe if we do that, uh, this learning curve will go down because it's just a technical skill, isn't it? Anyway, let me know what you think. How can we get the learning curve of robotic cardiac surgery down from 500 cases uh, to, to something a little bit more manageable. So that was our journal and news scan. And now I'll hand over to Camlin to tell you what else we have uh, on CTSnet. Will you be at the 103rd AATS annual meeting this weekend? Come visit CTSnet at booth 130 to meet the staff and ask questions, get an exclusive preview of our new website, and pick up some fun giveaways. CTSNet is the largest network of cardiothoracic surgeons in the world, and we would love to meet you all in person. So welcome back. Uh, so we've picked three really good bits of content for you. So we do some webinars uh, on CTSNet. If you're holding a, uh, a web conference or a webinar, please do get us involved and we'll uh, host it live uh, to, to anyone in the world. So it's there for posterity and forever. And uh, the ERAS Cardiac Society uh, got in contact with us uh, and we did a webinar together. The title of this uh, was Improving Outcomes in Patients Requiring Mechanical Circulatory Support. Uh, these are becoming more 
far more common these days and uh, and they're really high risk patients and this was a wonderful one hour webinar completely free online for you to watch um, it was by there were two really good presentations uh, the first by Edward Soltes from the Cleveland Clinic and the second by Michael Kindu uh, and uh, and Roberto LaRusso was online Lauren Barron Daniel Engelman Ron Salenga and uh, and Subhais Chatterjee so a real stellar uh, group there were some really good interactive questions afterwards uh, and the two uh, talks the first one was by um, by Edward Soltes was all about can preemptive temporary mechanical support enhance recovery following high-risk cardiac surgery asking the question about whether you should put impellers or even put them on a temporary vad and who should you choose really really interesting and the second one uh, was outstanding Michael Kindo uh, was talking about ERAS for durable vads if you're putting a permanent vad in or a vad to transplant or, or or whatever how do you do the best for that patient and he showed some wonderful uh, information so he was talking about optimization, exercise, diabetes, nutrition, opiate-free analgesia. He showed some videos of his patients on bike, uh, on bike, bicycle pedals while still in their bed, linked up to thousands of instruments. You know, really, really great talk and a really good discussion. So well done. Um, they also... Um, uh, uh, they also just mentioned that we'll have further in the series uh, and we're really grateful to the ERAS Cardiac Society uh, for, for giving us that wonderful demonstration. The second video we've se selected for you is a little bit similar. It's, uh, it's on post-surgical pain after cardiac surgery. Um, this is an Allied Health uh, presentation by uh, Carrie Han uh, Yalo from uh, the Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Um, and it was part of the Connect, uh, Connecting Patients, Clinicians and Outstanding care series that Jill and Tara Bartley put together. Um, it was really good. It was all about multimodal analgesia, opiate sparing analgesia, CBT, and getting the patient to understand the pain they're going to have after surgery. They even touched on music, massage, and acupuncture after surgery. We actually have an acupuncturist on our service uh, that gives acupuncture after cardiac surgery. It works. Uh, so really, really good video. So check that out uh, on CTSnet today. And then the third video we've got for you is a real eye-opener. Um, uh, imagine, uh, have you ever had that call? Uh, we're worried that this patient's had a ventricular left free wall rupture. Uh, I've only seen a very small number in, in, in my practice. Uh, I've seen a lot of them not make it, uh, but this was a really successful video uh, by Jad Malas, Dominic Megna, Joe Chikwi from Cedis sinai Medical Center. Uh, and they document a really young patient, 53 years old, um, they had a left ventricular free wall rupture that was contained. Uh, they came in, they had a CT scan, they had an angiogram, block circumflex, and they brought them to theatre. So uh, and they got a really good head cam footage. Uh, they opened the chest, loads of clot everywhere, a six centimetre hole in the left ventricle that they demonstrate beautifully. And then they do this great patch. They take two bovine pericardium and they put a Teflon uh, patch in the middle and sandwich it all together. They take massive 2-O-Ethibon plegated sutures going through the, uh, the good bits of the left ventricle uh, and then they patch that down. They do a load of 4-O continuous, they put a load of bioglue on it and they have a great outcome. That patient left hospital nine days later and four months later is doing really well with no chest pain. So congrats to them. Amazing video. You should really check that out now. 
So we're getting to the end of our, our podcast. Thank you for staying it out this long, listening to me honking on. But we've got a few more really exciting things for you. We've got upcoming events, we've got, uh, and we've got an honourable mention. And in that, I'm going to tell you all exciting stuff about robots. But first of all, remember the AATS is only uh, a week away. It's the May the 6th to the 9th, so I hope you're going already. Otherwise, we'll bring you the best news from that next week. Uh, the second interesting thing, just look out for May the 10th to the 13th. Uh, it's the annual London Core Review Cardiothoracic Surgery course. If you're a trainee or resident or want to top up your knowledge, this is a stellar group of uh, presenters. Jabreen El Khoury, Tyrone David, David Taggart, Karen Redman. You know, it's just a professor fest. Uh, so you can actually uh, join online. Uh, there's an online subscription. And we're really excited to tell you that uh, we're going to get uh, the recordings of some of these. So, so in the on the upcoming 2024 course, we're going to release a load of these videos as well. But if you want to see it less than six months away, then just uh, log on and have a look at that. And thirdly, the 23rd Brazilian Thoracic Surgery Congress is happening on the 17th to the 19th of May. I actually went and visited Porto Alegre uh, and did some surgery with the wonderful surgeons there. They really are fantastic surgeons in Brazil. You know, some of the best surgeons, some beautiful centers there. So it's so a really interesting, really exciting. So check that out. They've got lung transplant. They've got ECMO, tracheal surgery. And it's a, it's a huge country. So, so check that out. We always have a weekly session of Where's Diego? Diego, the world's best thoracic surgeon, traveling the world to spread the word. This week, he started off in, uh, in, in Bielef in Germany, where he did two robotic segmentectomies, and then he flew over to Kuwait, uh, where he did four uniportal VATS cases, including one uh, in an 11-month-old 11, 11 baby uh, who had a huge bronchogenic cyst. So well done, Diego. Uh, there's a few videos online, and, uh, and that was really, really interesting. And then we come to our honourable mention, and our honourable mention this week is to Mark Slack. Well, some of you might not know who Mark Slack is. He is uh, originally a gynaecology surgeon in Cambridge, but in 2014, uh, he had an idea. The idea was let's break the monopoly of robotics. And so he set up Cambridge Medical Robotics uh, with some engineers and some philanthropists. So from 2014, where he had an idea in a pub, to 2020. This is now a £3.9 billion uh, company. He has an active working robot. It's now done 10,000 cases worldwide. There's 130 systems around the world. And he's just amazing. He's the most wonderful, amazing, enthusiastic person. And I was in Papworth this week setting up the thoracic surgery program there. And I can tell you it works brilliantly uh, in the chest. So the exciting thing is that probably within the next six month they're going to get American FDA approval and he's also talking about coming to cardiac surgery. He really really understands um, the frustrations cardiac surgeons have uh, with lack of access to robotics so, so CMR are certainly looking into probably starting with Lima and Rima takedown uh, and then who knows how far it'll go really. So well done to them. Some of the really other interesting things uh, we discovered talking about robotics is the really how difficult it is. So Johnson & Johnson, you may recall, had a verb surgical link up in 2000. That fell to pieces and they closed down that program. Um, they then announced the Otava program and uh, they spent probably, it's rumoured to be about a billion dollars trying to set up a robot with that. That has just shut down as well. Uh, they've thrown up the white flag for that. So, and Johnson & Johnson 
<clears throat> realize the importance of robotics. It is a fact that if a robot goes into a hospital, uh, the revenue from non-robotic kit goes down 20% because suddenly you're not using the non-robotic stuff. You're not using the ligature. You're not using the harmonic ace. You're not using their ports. So it's so vital to have a robotic platform. So, so um, it's heavily rumored that Johnson & Johnson may be buying CMR. Watch this space. And I think that could only be good uh, for competition, especially when it comes to America. Um, so let's have a look. Let's see what happens. And also keep a really good lookout uh, in the world of thoracics and cardiac surgery because there will be some great more videos coming out of, of these platforms uh, in thoracic and soon cardiac surgery. So honourable mention, Mark Slack, great job. You're uh, one of my amazing heroes. Uh, and, uh, and see if you can find some videos uh, or even TED Talks from Mark Slack online. He's really an inspirational person. So that's we've, all, all we've got time for. Um, uh, um, thank you for sitting out to the end. Uh, and tune in next week uh, where we'll give you some more news and information from around the world here at the CTSnet podcast.